Come, now is time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. One day every tongue will confess to your God. One every day will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those that leave you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. Willingly we choose to surrender our lives. Willingly our knees will bow. With all our hopes, minds, and dreams, we gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come, 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 come. called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you leaving you and leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps he who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth and while being reviled he did not revile in return and while suffering he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This morning we get to be reminded of the work and promises of Christ as we partake of the supper. Reminder real quick, um, just kind of go by rows back to front so you can actually see when your turn is. We did this last month, so I'll start with that. <laughs> 
the um, grab a wafer and your cup and then return to your seat. And then if you would wait, we'll have a prayer so we can partake of the meal together. We'll do the wafer and the and cup at the same time and, and go from there. But as you as you grab your your elements and get a chance to return to your seat, be reminded that it is Christ who redeems and it is by his work that we are celebrating and that we are cleansed and healed. So I ask now, again, start at the back if we could and then just kind of make your way rope. Mine was off, so it wasn't me for once. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Woo. It's a speaker a over surprise. here. Yeah, it caught that monitor just right, didn't right, it? Right, yeah. Gotta love it. I forgot it was there. <laughs> it's okay. It happens. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the work that you have done, for the work that you still do, for your bearing of our sins, paying of our penalty, and granting us your righteousness, for fulfilling your promises for conquering our enemy, and for ushering us into your kingdom. Though we are not there, we know by your promises we will be. And we pray that you would strengthen us until that day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And the early church, after they would partake, would continue with a hymn of praise. So I think that's appropriate, so let's stand and sing. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say that the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice for he has made me glad. 
He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. I will enter His gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. I will say the good days that the Lord has been. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. I will enter His gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His court with praise. I will say this today that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. All right, handful of things this morning. Unfortunately, most of them not good. Uh, be in prayer for Mike. He is, he was not feeling well yesterday, and the back is starting back up again, so... He's doing good for weeks, and now, so maybe just because he's sick and pressure, but I hope so too. So be in prayer for Mike. Uh, be in prayer for Judith. She goes this week for, they're going to do surgery to remove gallstones and to repair a hiatal hernia. And pray at this point that she makes it to surgery because they were on the way home from the checkup, the pre-op, and they got rear-ended, and her and her son are in neck braces with whiplash. <laughs> so... Pray that she gets to surgery, and pray surgery goes well. Uh, Clark yesterday got, got on a list somewhere and got his first vaccine, so you got your first vaccine. So I was going to say, I, I told Cameron, I said, if Clark's not here this morning, remind me to call him this afternoon and see how he's doing, just make sure. Uh, uh, Kathy Lester got a ride. She's had her second. 80's had two and is doing all right, as you can see. So. <laughs> Um, we have church council next week, so council members, you have been warned. Dun, dun, dun. In two weeks, there's a business meeting. You are figuring out how that works. <laughs> Although that's not going to be true every month this year, but most of the time, yes. All right, is there anything else? Yes, sir. I thanked them last week for you. Leave it to Jonathan to twist the knife one good time. <laughs> if there is a knife, to, if there is a knife, Jonathan shall twist it. That is that. Is, if we know nothing else, there we go. And you wonder why we give you grief on Wednesdays. <laughs> Can't imagine why we would. But no, if 
It is our pleasure. Actually, I took the opportunity of getting most of those chairs out of there to reorganize that room down there. So there's actually more room. So at some point, we got to get the tables and chairs in the gym put away. And we actually have room to put them in that storage room now. If you go look at that storage room, you won't recognize it if you've seen it before. <laughs> I know. As Cameron said this morning, being an adult is so stupid. You get excited. Like, the room is organized. I'm so happy. <laughs> All right. You had a hand. Thank you. See, I, I, if you don't tell me, I will forget. First Sunday of the month, we had taken communion. That is a reminder that benevolent fund. There are envelopes back there by the offering plate with a big B on them. That is for the Benevolent Fund. If you would like to contribute to the Benevolent Fund, thank you. Please use those envelopes. Again, you guys know what that goes toward at this point. I don't have to keep telling you, so thank you in advance if you're able to help. If not, just pray for where that money goes and to whom that it goes. Anything else that I'm forgetting? Do I need to keep stalling for Terry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. I'm hoping that's not going to happen. Don't remind me. I warned the guys on Wednesday for Bible study. For uh, years ago, years and years and years ago, as a matter of fact, exactly 20 years ago, I woke up one morning just completely broken out from neck to knees and hives. I mean, big welts all over my body. Uh, went through that for a couple of days before I got to see a dermatologist. They put me on an over-the-counter Allegra, which seemed to knock it out. And then at some point, I switched from Allegra to Zyrtec because it was cheaper and smaller tablets, easier to swallow. I taken Zyrtec randomly for the last probably 10 or 15 years because I, I react terribly to cats. I, I, made, I made a mistake one day. I, I, I can actually remember the day I was sit, I went to see Marsha when she was doing all of her treatments and she has a cat that for like reasons unknown liked me and I sat there and scratched the cat and messed with the cat and then made a mistake when I had an itch and scratched my face and struggled to drive home because I couldn't see because I couldn't look out my eyes. So I take a Zyrtec periodically every other day, and the reason I've continued to take Zyrtec, even though I'm not around cats regularly, is because if I go off Zyrtec for more than a day, I itch like there's no tomorrow. I break out in red bumps and lines and scratches, and it's terrible. Found out from an allergist that's not an allergic reaction. It's what's known as cetirazine withdrawal. The active ingredient Zyrtec actually causes withdrawal symptoms in people who take it for long term. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so... So I'm an allergy pill junkie, apparently. And so I said, what do I do about it? Just go cold turkey. I went cold turkey. I was doing well until Thursday morning. Cameron ran up the stairs because I was stomping and running like I had run a marathon because I itched from head to toe. And so I've gotten Allegra again because Allegra doesn't cause this, and I took one on Thursday, and I haven't taken one since. So if I start itching uncontrollably during the morning, I don't have fleas. There's nothing terribly wrong with me. Cameron has the Allegra in her purse if I need it. No leprosy? <laughs> yeah. I haven't suddenly. See, I'm talking about it now, and now so I'm like. Yep. So The itch the is coming. I'm exactly. getting it too. <laughs> the primary places that are going to be problems are going to be my hands and my hair. So if, I, if my hair just looks like the mad scientist by the end of the day because I've messed with it too much, I apologize. It's really disappointing because I'm having such a good hair day. <laughs> so yeah, if I so if my hair is standing up because I've scratched it to death today, that is why. I promise I don't have leprosy or fleas. We don't need to delouse the office. It is just because my itching has come back and hopefully they said seven to ten days it'll start to go and then a month later it could come back and flare up again. So for the next couple of months I'm gonna be living in terror that I'm gonna wake up one morning. Cause I, I literally I got out of the shower on Thursday and I couldn't actually get dressed because I couldn't stop scratching long enough to put clothes on. Yeah, apparently. So, 
Gotta love it. Now he's dead. I've talked about it too long, so now I'm going. Yeah, Cameron's in the back going, warn him, warn him. It's like, mm-hmm. thanks. You got me thinking about it. Now I'm over here going. <sighs> yeah, now everybody's going to be sitting here all morning going. Oh, <laughs> quit. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> Just like when you get a song stuck in your head and then you sing it and everybody else goes, thanks a lot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I think Elaine is trying to give me a hint. <laughs> oh, oh, so you've clicked on it four times. At some point, the song is just going to fly through because the computer doesn't like us. So, all right. As a recap, be in prayer for Mike, for Judith, for Clark also, as he's going to be going in a couple weeks to get the, the next shot. And, and Vern, just for being Vern, that's, that's probably good enough reason. And reminder, council next week. And then I think that covers everything. So let's continue. Like the woman at the well I was seeking For a thing that could not satisfy And then I heard my Savior speaking Draw from my well that never shall run dry Fill my cup, Lord I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. So my brother, if the things this world gave you, Leave hunger that won't pass away. My blessed Lord will come and save you. If you kneel to him and humbly pray. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench his thirsty of my soul, bread of Babylon, feed me till I want no more, fill my cup, fill it up and make me long, fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord, come and quench this thirsting of my soul. I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me whole. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me whole. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me
I wander so aimless, life full with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. So I full with sin. Say for my own, like a blind man that God gave back his sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I have dreams. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Praise the Lord, I saw. the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night, now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside, praise the Lord, I saw the light, praise, praise the Lord, I saw the light. Praise the Lord, I saw the I think the worst part is I hadn't thought about itching any until Cameron said something. Now I'm sitting here going, it's, all, it's not me, it's the woman you gave to me. <laughs> all right. 
If my kids are paying attention, they'll love what I'm going to say next. Warning for today, we are dealing with baby dinosaur theology. <laughs> See? My children have recently discovered that show from the 90s, Dinosaurs. Remember the baby had two famous lines? Not the mama and again. Since we're not talking about motherhood, we're dealing with the again, again, and again, and again, and again. So this is going to become the recurring theme of Exodus, unfortunately, which means it's an opportunity for us to remember what this is in our Bible for. The goals looking through these Old Testament passages. What can we learn about God? How does this encourage or instruct me to walk better? And as a warning, bad animatronic Jim Henson cartoon things are not going to be the last bad 90s reference of the day. So you have been warned. Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, at evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Ah. <sighs> No happiness in this, is there? So let's rewind to the beginning, dive right in. They set out from Elim, and all the congregations of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. Hey, for the first time, I get to look at you and go, we actually know where this is. <laughs> Woohoo! We won't do that often, but this is in the southwestern Sinai Peninsula. I don't have a big giant map, and if I put one on the screen, you can't see it rightly. I have tried, so I've just given up. So if you have the maps in the back of your Bible and you see the little Sinai Peninsula there above the, uh, the Persian Gulf or the Red Sea area, you can actually see the Sinai Peninsula. We are in the southwestern corner. The reason we know this is from Numbers 33. They journeyed from Marah and came to Elim, and in Elim there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there. They journeyed from Elim and camped by the Red Sea. They journeyed from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. So we know they've crossed, and they've kind of moved down to the south, and now they're crossing into the wilderness. Again, every time you see in the NASB the wilderness, here, desert. Like, when we think wilderness, it's like somebody's gone off and walked into the woods somewhere. That's not what the NASB is doing. This is the Negev of the New Testament. This is the wilderness, the desert. There is not a whole lot that lives there. Nothing grows there. It is not a nice place. If you live there and make a living there, you are usually some tough people. So, they do this on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. That is both instructive 
and terribly depressing. And the reason I say it's depressing is um, Exodus 12. This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Then further on, you keep the lamb until the fourteenth day, then the whole assembly of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Why? You take the blood, you put it on your doorpost, the life of the lamb in exchange for the life of your son. Second month after their departure from Egypt. It's been a month. It wasn't a year ago. It wasn't six years ago. It's been a month since we were smearing the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. <sighs> Do you ever wonder why your Bible continually preaches on the same themes over and over again and why Jesus teaches the same ideas over and over again? <laughs> it's not just that these people don't get it. These people. <laughs> I am these people. I don't get it either. I mean, talk about fun 90s references. You guys remember Chumbawamba? Yeah, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Dude, I was so depressed as a child that I actually bought that CD. I had the whole album. I still do. That wasn't their best song. Their best song was Amnesia. And I just thought it was hysterical because the line in the song is, Do you suffer from long-term memory loss? I don't remember. That's these people, isn't it? I told you there'd be more bad 90s references. I mean, you've been in the wilderness. You've crossed the Red Sea. It's been a month, which means it was just like last week that the Red Sea was parted. It was just the other day, seemingly, that God has provided. So here we go, verse 2. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. This is when you need um, John McEnroe, right? You cannot be serious! This is now a weekly occurrence for these people. It was two weeks ago that I was doing the bad Scarlett O'Hara impression. And if you missed it, watch, wait a minute, because it might come back. Why is this a weekly occurrence? Now, if you've been in the Sunday school class that I'm teaching, you're going, we, we, I remember this, we've done this. Why is this a weekly occurrence? Your Bible will actually tell you why. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. In other words, these things are written. God is putting up with this stubborn and stiff-necked people, as Moses will put it in Deuteronomy, so that we will learn. When you read your Old Testament, you need to quote my baseball players. Because anytime one of them came to practice, after one year of coaching, they figured this out real quick. If you came to practice and said, I don't know how to do that, my starting catcher, James, would put on his shin guards and walk around and go, you're going to learn today. You're going to learn today because Coach Mike going to teach you. Now, I'm not the one who's going to teach you. The Bible is going to teach you. But what is the Bible doing? Teaching you by their bad example. I don't know how to live. Read your Bible. You're going to learn today. They fail so that we can look and say, don't be like that. We've used this example before. This is what you do with your kids, right? 
Don't do the dumb things I do. Find new dumb things to do so that you can teach your children not to do the dumb things I did and then not to do the dumb things you do. And the hope is we get enough generations down the line. What do we run out of? We run out of dumb things that we can do. And now we have figured this out. You, you see this idea at the end. Get to Revelation 2. Jesus telling the churches, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. These are all good things, by the way. And they are not, and you found them to be false. You have perseverance and have, and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. They're doing well. But I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. See, that's a church doing well. But why are they doing well? They're obviously not doing well because of their love of Christ. They're doing well because of something else. Again, I joke, but remember what I forgot. Read your bulletin, the trivia question's in there. <gasps> I was just about to mention it. I realized I knew I forgot something. See what happens when you start getting me about itching? <laughs> Brain just goes right out the window. The reason we, I, I joke that the reason we put that in there is not so that you can win a Bible trivial pursuit, but so that you can read your Bible and grow in knowledge and grow in love of God and love of neighbor. Same thing in your daily living. You do not progress in sanctification so that you can teach your kids to do better. Notice what I just said. Should you teach your kids to do better? Yes. You do not progress in sanctification so that you will teach your kids to do better. You do that because you love the Lord, your God, who has saved you. And you love the children and family that he has given you. Therefore, you honor him by how you instruct them. That matters because the why in your life will determine the how. You want to have love for your neighbor? You know what the first step would be? Love your neighbor. Actually care about who they are as a sinner before God. Actually care about their future on their progression either towards the kingdom or towards the other place. And then live in a way that would honor and please God in how you interact, how you disciple, how you instruct, how you counsel. Why you do things matters. It changes how you think about the world. And if you're doing it for you, you will be found out. Because your heart will grow bitter, your words will grow sour, and life will be difficult. But when Christian living is lived out of love for God, love of neighbor, and love of the work that Christ has and is doing, then you can endure. You can persevere, and you can bear up. See, why is Israel grumbling? Because we don't have anything. We want. Well, why do you want? Because we're hungry, because we're thirsty, because we don't have it. What have you seen, and what was the point of everything you've seen? Lambs, right on the wall behind them. No idea. Hence, verse 3. The sons of Israel said to them, Okay, I've got to. I'll twist my own arm so I feel better about it. Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We just did this, right? I mean, we just did this like two, three weeks ago. See, if you missed it, that's the bad Scarlet O'Hara impression. And I mean, does somebody have to walk through the end? And I shall never go hungry again. Well, apparently you are going to go hungry again because you're wandering in the wilderness. Now, have we just done this? Yes. 
let's ask the depressing question. Are we going to do this again? <laughs> You've been paying attention in Sunday school. The answer is yes. And after we do it again, are we going to do it again? And after we do it again, are we going to do it again? Yes. Welcome once again to the warnings of Scripture. I'm not even going to get into the emptiness of these complaints because they're not actually worth getting into. Where do they stand? On the other side of the sea. Why do they stand there? Because God has brought them through it. Why have they moved camp from Elim to the wilderness? Because the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and the angel of the Lord that walks with it has told them it is time to break camp and move along. They are literally following God, both in symbol and in person. So these complaints are pointless, because if God is there, are you going to die of hunger? No. If God is right there, are you going to die of thirst? No. If God is there, are the nations around you going to overcome you? No. Now, why not? Because they haven't got to the promised land. Remember, Exodus 3, Moses wasn't told, go to Israel so we can get them out of Egypt. It was go to Israel so we can get them out of Egypt and bring them into the good land that I have promised them. Again, if you haven't gotten to where you're going, you aren't there yet. And that's Israel. Now, if God has promised to deliver you from Egypt and take you to a land, and he has delivered you from Egypt the way that he has done it, but has not taken you to the land yet, should you be worried? No. Christian, welcome to your world, by the way. Has he delivered you from sin? Yes. But has he freed you from its consequences, its total, its, its influence, and everything else? No. Will he? Yes. Why do you say that? Because that is what he has promised. And if he is faithful to do what he has done, he will be faithful to do the other things that he has promised. Which, again, is why we get the warnings that we get in Scripture. Second John. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Now when we talk about the warnings against false teachers, we are not just talking about like the History Channel. I know I give them a hard time because they deserve it. <laughs> now, now, I, I just took a water drink. So we're not going there. That only works on Wednesdays. No, we're talking about people at church, people at school, people at colleges, people in government, people in the world, the other voices in your head, or is that just me? Just no. I had a couple other hands, so it's not just me. <laughs> Again, because the reason I throw that in there is one, it's a little bit funny, but two, we've said this before. Who lies to you the most? Who convinces you to do the most sinning that you do? <laughs> I mean, you can argue, you can talk yourself into a lot of bad ideas. And you know you can because you've done it. But the warnings against false teachers are everywhere. You should be weary of what I'm teaching you. That's why I get, I should, should have brought my bulletin. If you could get your bulletin on you. Thank you, sir. That is why you get this in the back of your bulletin. All those verses. Here, in case, in, in case anybody's watching later on YouTube. There you go. Thank you, sir. <laughs> you, 
this is why you get that in your bulletin, so that you can actually follow along. Double check that when I just quoted from Second John is actually in Second John. It's an accountability to me, and it's also a help to you. So that also later on, you know, like random Tuesday afternoon when something I said that was just so utterly brilliant flies back into your head, you can go and go, oh, yeah, that was the point he was making because here's the Bible verses and here's the thing that he did. That's why that outline is there. It's so that you can disciple and train yourself and also to see how the sausage is made, to see the points that are being made from the text, how they're being applied so that you can learn to do this yourself. This is the goal, to make me obsolete. And then you'll be really fun to deal with because you'll know a lot of this stuff. And then the conversations go in a whole different direction because we're no longer teaching, but we're applying and we're discipling and we're digging into the deep things that we normally don't talk about on a Sunday morning because they make all of our heads explode, including mine half the time. You get the same warning, not just in John, you get it from Paul, 1 Timothy 6. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world. So we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now you're asking, why does that connect? Well, simple. If God has provided me enough money to pay all my bills, clothe my children, feed my family, you know, the basics of life, I can get to working back and all that, have I been provided for? Yes. If I demand more, I am no longer content. Has Israel died of starvation and thirst in the wilderness yet? No. Has God promised them a land? Yes. Which means, while I don't have food and water right now, will I get it? Yes, how do I know that? Because he has made promises and he will deliver upon them. Therefore, I should be content even in this present difficulty. We talked about this last week. When do you grow in your faith? When life is good? No, when life is worse. When do you pray more? When life is awesome or when life is kicking you in the teeth? Yeah, usually when life is giving you a good left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, do you go, you know, I don't pray nearly enough. I mean, do you, let's let's be honest. I'll I'll even tell it myself. Do you think I prayed more or less when I couldn't stop scratching? <laughs> please, 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 please. Contentment. The lusts of this world are not just money. They're food. They're pleasure. They're things. They're security. They're station. All of these things are avenues that greed can latch onto. You want to see a little bit of it? this people all that god has done for them and what are they saying it's not enough that's greed remember god is tolerating these people so that we will learn learn what you might ask to live for and with him for and with him philippians chapter 4 i rejoiced in the lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Don't you love this? Where is Paul when he's writing this? Anybody know what category of uh, letter Philippians falls into? It's a prison epistle. Paul's in jail. So they were the Philippians were concerned about him before, but they didn't have any means to express that concern. Now that I'm in jail, you can show how much you care. You almost want to think that's warped thinking, except that's actually 
great thinking because they cared and they wanted to show it, but they didn't have any way to do it. Now that he's in jail, guess what they got? They got opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along in humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Does anybody know what the next verse is? I bet you you do. Because the next verse is when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've been in gyms for a long time. I know it doesn't look like it, but that's because I don't eat well. You know how many bodybuilders and weight trainers I have heard that can quote that verse verbatim because they think it matters to that? Paul doesn't care how strong you are. I mean, unless something heavy fell on him, you could pick it up. But when he says, I can do all things, he's not talking about climbing Mount Everest. He's not talking about winning a medal. He's not talking about a sports team accomplishing a championship. He's talking about him living with nothing that this world would consider good. And him saying, God strengthens me. I can walk down this road. God strengthens me. I don't care what the world takes. God strengthens me. I don't care what my difficulties are. It's a hearkening back. Paul is saying that I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and who's with me? God, with his rod and his staff. I don't have to worry. I'm there. What's the lesson Israel is failing in right now? The exact same thing. So the Lord said to Moses, verse 4, Behold, I will rain, yes, 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 bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. All right, be honest, I'm not the only one. What do you want to see rain down from heaven on these people at this point? <laughs> it isn't bread, is it? No, you want some fire and brimstone and some judgment, right? Again, I've said, if you have not read your Old Testament and at some point wanted to reach into the pages and strangle the people therein, you have not actually read your Old Testament. This is an example of this. Now, why will God rain bread from heaven? We are not just learning how to live for God by doing what Israel didn't do. We are learning to live with God, and part of that first step is learning who he is. Paul in Acts 13. Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Pergia and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived in Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, please say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Then the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. <laughs> Paul is, if nothing, honest. For 40 years, he tolerated them in the wilderness. What does putting up with them in the wilderness look like? We're hungry. Bread. That I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. It's just a test, right? This has been a test of an emergency faith system. Had this been an actual judgment, fire and brimstone would have rained down from heaven and burned and consumed everyone. What's the test? What's the test? It's a test of faith, right? A test of walking faithfully. My favorite verses, 
kicks off the parable of the um, the wise and the foolish builder. You ever you ever make, pay pay attention to the kickoff of that? Before we get to the rock and the sinking sand, Jesus says, "Why do you call me Lord, and do not do what I say?" <laughs> kind of a little kick in the butt there, right? Why do you proclaim yourselves Christians and then walk like the world? Why do you proclaim yourselves people of the book and then never read it? Why do we call ourselves people of prayer and then never do it? Why are we people of faith and yet we are usually the most trembled and feared? Welcome to the world. Welcome to the purification, the refining fires. And the reason I call them that is because I joke that bread is raining down from heaven. And that's good for Israel. It's good for us too because... God's grace is not just on them, but it's on us as well. If it was something other than bread raining down, like, you know, the hot lava type stuff, would Israel have learned? Would they have walked? No, they'd be dead. And if God doesn't give them bread, would they have learned and walked? No, they'd be dead. They'd starve to death. But did God make their travel easy? No. No. Who made the desert? <laughs> Who decided to call Moses in the desert? God. Who decided to meet them at Mount Sinai? He could have met him at the other side of the Red Sea. He could have met him at Elim with the, the springs and the date palm trees and all the wonderful provisions. God could have shown up right there, wrote the tablets, given him the commandments, you know, marched two weeks right across the desert, right to the promised land, and we're in. He could have done that. Why march them into the desert? so that they can whine and complain and be tested. <laughs> exactly. See exactly how faithful they are. Christian, this is why the world doesn't just give us everything, and this is why we warn people. Remember, Jesus said, do you, do you build a tower without seeing how much money you got? No. I mean, those of you that have built or bought houses or property or anything, do you ever just go like, yeah, let's just go throw some money at it, see if it's enough? No. You actually looked. When you called the bank for your loan, did they go, oh, sure, we'd love to give you that money? No, you signed a stack of papers this big. And then you went, my hand hurts. You can sign left-handed. That was lovely. Appreciate it. <laughs> and, and when you didn't think you could sign your name another time, you signed it 27 more times, and then they finally let you leave. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to make sure that at some point they were going to get their money because they don't trust you. <laughs> and they probably shouldn't. And they want to make sure as close as they can that there is some guarantee because they're being careful. Jesus told you this. You count the cost before you build something. You see if the person can pay you back before you lend them money. You see how many soldiers you have and how many soldiers they have before you go to battle. I mean, nobody wants to be in the charge of the light brigade. You know, Nobody wants to be on the side that just flies into battle against on a of unconquerable odds and loses. You end up dead that way. So you're smart and you're wise. Christian, that's how we live. You think through these things. You evaluate. But know that the world will not make it easy for multiple reasons. One, the world just loves Jesus, right? No! If they hated me, they'll hate you too. So there's reason number one. Reason number two, why don't you just spoil your kids and give them every possible thing you can, they can dream of? They, they don't respect it, they don't treat it with anything, and they don't care. If God were to give you every possible good thing in this world, what would you think? Let's be honest, in your sinfulness, you'd be like, Oh, Jesus loves me, this I know, all the stuff he gives me, so... I mean, 
I'm sorry, I couldn't come up with anything that rhymed on the fly. See, I don't have that stuff written down. That's the stuff that just comes out of the other voices in my head. So, This is why you walk, though, and this is why you're challenged, because when you are hit with those moments, what do you have to go back on? Promises. This is why we do this. You fall back on, who is he? What has he done? What has he promised? What guarantees has he given? What paperwork has he signed off on, like the bank? You get to be the bank for a minute and be like, I got all of this stack of paper that he has signed off on, that he reminds me of his goodness and his mercy and his promises and that he will fulfill. So, verse 5. On the sixth day, speaking of uh, warnings, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Sabbath is previewed here. Why? It's been longed for. Genesis chapter 5. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his son Noah, saying, This is one who will give us rest from our work, from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Noah's name literally means rest. That was the hope of that family. Life was difficult. It was a struggle. Adam and Eve are in the garden. When you're hungry, what do you do? You go pick some fruit. You go grab something. You eat. Now we are out of the garden. You want to eat something. What do you got to do? You got to dig a hole. And you got to get the weeds out. And you got to protect it from predators. And you got to get rid of the bugs. And you got to care for the animals in a way whereas they used to just run around and you just, you know, like sheared sheep and everything was good. Now you got to make sure the lions don't eat them. And the disease doesn't cripple your cattle. Life is hard. I mean, when you live off your garden and your flocks and herds, how many days a week do you go to work? All of them. <laughs> All of them. All of them. Yes. Because, I mean, stuff you don't even think about. You know, it was 40 degrees the other day, right? It's going to be 50 today, or it was 45-something degrees yesterday. Do you know what the overnight low was yesterday? It was in the 20s last night. So I guarantee you this morning, you know what Vern went to go check on? He went to make sure that the water trough for his cattle didn't freeze. He's the in Duluth. Well, somebody went and checked, and Junior had to go check. Before he could just take off the Duluth, what does he have to do? Just to make sure somebody's going to go. Because if it gets down to 20 degrees, those metal troughs with that water in there, even though the ice was broken up this morning, the shadow falls far enough in the afternoon, it gets cold enough overnight, and now the cattle are sitting around going, moo. <laughs> he got rid of them finally? Ha <laughs> ha. Eh, figures. Hey, leave my examples alone. They work. <laughs> the only reason I got my driveway cleared this winter when I wasn't doing it is because he had to go check cows, which means he had to get down the road I live on to go check on them to make sure that their water didn't freeze. So I know it works. <laughs> but you have to do this every day because if you don't, bad things might happen. That's why God says, no, you'll take a day of rest so that you may worship, so that you may dedicate yourselves and your family to God. It's not just a, a rest to dedication, but it's a rest from trusting in your crops. It's a rest from trusting in your flocks and in your herds and in yourself. That's why Paul continues. We go back to where God was putting up with them in Acts 13. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, 
according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior who is Jesus. We see this. Israel sees, I'm hungry, and I'm thirsty, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and what do you mean there's going to be stuff to pick up, and what do you mean we're going to take a day off? I don't understand any of this. And God is doing this while still building towards what? The accomplishment of salvation, the accomplishment of his kingdom, the crushing of the serpent in the garden, the deliverance of his people from sin. It is a long, long view of history, and he is walking patiently with his people through it. Why? So that they will learn to live for and with him. Remember, that's what was lost in the garden. The Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve saw him face to face. We're getting close again, right? Israel's walking in the wilderness. That's the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. The angel of the Lord is standing there. This is pretty close to walking with him. And yet, how are they doing? Not well. See, we have to be sanctified. We have to be purified. We can't just walk into the courtroom and say, I'm good. No, Christ is good. That's why we walk in and say, I'm his. <laughs> Please. Okay. And it's the identification of Christ, his righteousness, his goodness, applied to our account that makes us good and able to stand in the courts of God. That's what Israel is learning. You're really seeing how broken and busted could humanity possibly be. <laughs> just wait. It gets worse. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. <laughs> Just think about that. Oh, verse 6, sorry, I didn't warn you. At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. How could you not? Why did they leave? Because Pharaoh was like, get out. You and everybody else Get out. Why did he do that? Because everybody lost somebody. And why didn't they die at the corner of the sea when the armies and the chariots came marching in? Because God parted it and crushed the enemies. How could you not know? Never, ever, ever underestimate the power of the sinful heart. Jude, verse 5. I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. There are people who walked through all of that, sat through the plagues, sat through the Passover, slaughtered the lamb, rejoiced at the destruction of Egypt in Exodus 15, and rejoiced with the songs at the deliverance of God experienced the blessings of the manna, experienced the quail being blown in, saw the water from the rock, and went, I don't think God did all this. <laughs> Today's lucky lotto numbers are, I mean, I mean, that's not rolling a snake eyes, that's rolling sevens every single day. Like, ooh, seven, seven. That's not a hot streak, that's the dumbest luck in human history. Nobody has this kind of luck. There were people that saw all that and then went, no, I don't believe that Yahweh has this power. I don't believe that Yahweh can deliver us. I don't believe that he will preserve us, and I don't believe that he will provide us. <sighs> How dark will the heart and mind apart from Christ get? That's a pretty good example of some pretty dark darkness, which is a reminder that we are not just saved from, but we are saved to. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Notice something there. It is not my yoke is non-existent, and my burden doesn't have any weight. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There's still a yoke and a burden. We are saved from our sin. We are saved to a walk in sanctification and righteousness. This is what, I need Ginger in here. She's got all the kids, but she's the one. This is Ginger's line. I don't know why people always complain Christian living is so hard. It's so much easier than what I used to do. <laughs> and I understand the point she's making exactly. Because when you compare it to living a life of sin and blasphemy, sanctification's a breeze. Living for God and rejoicing in him and turning from your sin is like, this is so much easier. Does that mean it's easy every day? No, but it's better than the alternative. That's what we're talking about. My, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's still a yoke and a burden, but it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is blessed by God. It is inaugurated by Christ, and it is accomplished by all of those three working together to usher in a people to God's kingdom. We are saved to something. When we get Christian living the most wrong, it's because we forget that aspect of it. We forget that part. We're just saved from, just constantly from. And we never think about to. That's why I always remind you. We look back and remember the work that Christ has done, but what else do we remember? The work that he has still promised to do. Because I want to keep you looking forward. I want to keep you walking in the direction you're supposed to go. I've talked about this before. If you get in your car and you're trying to work on anger in traffic, you know the worst thing you can do is? Don't be angry. Don't be angry. I'm not going to get angry. I am not going to get angry at these people. Or a conversation I've had recently, if you're a person who gets anxious over things, you ever started worrying about your worry? If you've ever had an anxiety issue, you will. You'll worry about being worried, which will cause you to do what? <laughs> and now I'm not getting over my anxiety because what am I focusing on? I'm focusing on not being anxious. It's the joke we all just did this a few minutes ago. We just all did this just a couple minutes ago. We all started thinking about itching and what happened? You know what you were all doing? You didn't really itch. You just, like, we talked about it enough that you felt like you just had to scratch something. Same thing here. As The more I talked about it, the more I'm going, it's a little warm in here, and the heat's running. I can feel just a little bit of sweat, and all of a sudden it's like, <sighs> inhale, exhale. If I itch, I itch, and it's okay. I can take a pill. It'll be all right. That's the danger of sin. Even when you're trying to kill it. You know how you kill it? You don't kill it by going, it's dead. I got it. I killed that sin. It's dead. Watch, look, I can come back and kick it all I want. It's going to stay dead because I won. And what do I keep doing? <laughs> you know what I'm going to do eventually? I'm eventually going to get sorry for kicking it and go, ooh, it wasn't that bad. No, 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 don't, don't, don't. Best thing to do, leave it in the past. Walk in sanctification. So when we talk about anger, it's not don't be angry at these stupid people in traffic. Who are these stupid people in traffic? They're sinners. Why would I expect sinners to drive well? I mean, in all honesty, why, why would sinful, selfish people drive well? Because they got places to go and things to do, and they think those things and places are important. 
So if they can cheat the light or run through the stop sign or go a little faster or get in front of me, that's what they're going to do. They don't need my anger. They need sanctification. I don't need to hate them. I need to pray and pity them. Because while I'm not going to ram into them so I can stop and talk to them and evangelize them, I can still pray that somebody else might. Not stop and hit them, but like, you know, evangelize them. You know what I mean. When it comes to anxiety and worry, I don't sit there and go, I'm not going to be anxious about this. I'm not going to worry about this. No, I'm going to say, I am walking faithfully. Hard times will come. I will live for Christ. I will trust his provision. I will trust his mercy. Notice the difference between those things. Oh, I'm trying to conquer my sin. I'm just going, I'm going to kill it, kill it, kill it. Okay, that's a good start. But then now I will live. So we talk about this with addictions. Alcohol, drugs, pornography. Don't sit there going, I'm not going to look at porn. I'm not going to look at porn. I'm not going to look at porn. No, I'm going to honor God with my eyes. See the difference between those two things? I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. No, I'm going to honor God with how I live and what I put into my body. See the difference between those two things? That's the lesson that's being taught. That's why this matters so much. They don't get the lesson because they don't get that it is God who has actually delivered them. And we say that. Well, I know God has saved me. Okay, do you realize what you've just said out loud? Who is God? Who is you? Why? Remind yourself of that periodically and realize who God is, holy and mighty and just. He is the God of creation, the one who sits upon the throne of the universe. He has saved you. Now I start to put some things in a different perspective. Now I start to live and walk rightly. Verse 7. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? Now this could almost be an uh-oh moment. Because in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. You mean like we've been seeing the pillar and we've been seeing the angels. You mean there's more? One consistent thing in your Old Testament. For the most part, when God shows up, how do people act? Are people like, oh, God is here, yay, hugs, hugs, hugs. Sorry, I had to do that enough to get all the way back around. They don't act like that. Why not? Because when God shows up, they realize that God shows up. And he didn't come to see me. He came to see me. <laughs> this is a worry. But be reminded, there are two presences of God. Zephaniah 3 is one example. Wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision to gather the nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. That's one presence of God. Joel 2. It will come about that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's another. That's a blessing. This is one of those things. Sometimes we make a mistake when we say sin. Well, I understand why we say this, but we, we, we distill sin to a separation from God, you know, things that separate us from God. And we define hell as separation from God, right? You are eternally separated from God. That sounds really good, but it's just not theologically accurate. 
because do you know who fires the fire of hell? God. He's there. He is there in his capacity as judge and executioner to do just that, to judge and execute judgment. He is there. He's just not there in mercy and grace. He is there in wrath, indignation, and justice. You don't flee from him. And that's one of those things. Talk about a lesson that should be obvious, that you ever learn something one day and you're like, that just made total sense. Because I went through like 17 hurdles in my brain to try to explain why hell is eternal. And somebody looked at me one day and went, well, do you think people stop sinning in hell? And I was just like, <laughs> I never thought of that. You mean, it, it just never dawned on me that sinful people would experience the judgment of God and be like, I can't believe you're doing this to me. How dare you? And I was like, they don't get out because the grace has been removed. The opportunity has been taken away. There is no love of God. It is just the wrath of God poured out. And when typically when people who claim to love God experience difficulty, how do we act? Even we get a little miffed. What do we think the pagan is going to do? It's literally just never dawned on me. The people in hell are going to keep sinning. That's why they don't get out. They just never stop sinning. This is one of those light bulb moments. You're probably looking at me like, you didn't understand that? Give me a minute. I have my blonde moments at a time, you know. <laughs> I was blonde once for like a couple of months. I cut my hair real short, dyed it blonde. I looked like a miniature Eminem. It was bizarre. Clark Swan thought that was hysterical. <laughs> because we recognize these two realities of God's presence, though, we watch ourselves. This is what Ephesians 5 is on about. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We've talked about this. What's the will of the Lord? For his people to walk in his ways, for them to be sanctified, to grow into the knowledge of him, to be transformed, to disciple, to do all of the things that he has called us to do, to be his holy people, entering into his holy kingdom. That's why Moses can finish up in verse 8. And Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. That's a warning. That's a warning. You'll see the same thing again in Samuel, right? The people come to Samuel and go, we want a king to be like the other nations. And Samuel's a little freaked out, like, oh, I'm not sure this is a good idea, guys. And he goes to God, and God says this, give him a king. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. This is why the punchline of the most wicked book in the Bible, the book of Judges, is so important. Because Judges is just Israel sinning like every way imaginable. And what's the last verse? There was no king in Israel in those days, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Well, there was a king in Israel in those days. His name was Yahweh, and he had a law and a commandment and a call, and a call to the people to walk faithfully. So when, when Judges says there's no king, what they're saying is the people thought there was no God. They thought Yahweh was irrelevant, so they did whatever they wanted to do. Moses is previewing that. What are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. See, that should be cause for warning. Psalm 78 goes that direction. They still continued to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart, they put God to the test by asking for food according to their desire. And then they spoke against God, and they said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock, so the waters gushed out. Streams were overflowing. 
Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? Anybody who talks like that about God, having seen the things that they have seen, what do they deserve? No, they deserve something. Is when you start channeling some good disco. Fire. Yes, that's what they deserve. Ah, Psalm 78 continues. Therefore, the Lord heard and was full of wrath. And a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger mounted against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Yet. He commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels, and he sent them food in abundance. You want to see two pictures of God? That's what it looks like. That's what you're going to see throughout Exodus. A broken, messed up people trying to walk in their sin for and with God. And you're seeing God correct judge, bless, and train them. Always remember that Exodus is ultimately a picture. It is the deliverance of God. Excuse me. It is the deliverance of God for his people from their enemy. Does that sound like anything we might talk about, you know, as a New Testament body of believers? Deliverance of God from our enemy. Exodus is the salvation of Israel, but it's a picture of salvation for God's people, those who would name the name of Christ. And nothing has changed, because what's going on in our world? We get confused all the time by what's going on in our world. What's honestly going on? God is doing what? He is instructing. He is blessing. He is judging. He is preserving. He's doing all of the same things that he did for them, for his people today. Our call is to do what? Walk. Walk faithfully. Not a thing has changed. Romans 5. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were grumbling for our food in the wilderness, while we were demanding water from rocks, Christ died for us. Remember, The world too often gets this wrong because we do a terrible job of explaining. The call of Christ is not, all right, get yourself cleaned up and then come talk to me. It is God swooping into the muck and the mire and picking up dirty, rotten, evil sinners and then he himself cleansing them. When I am calling you to walk faithfully, when I am calling you to walk in sanctification and to grow in godliness, I am not sitting there trying to crack the whip going, you do better, ah, yeah, yeah. Because I am trusting that as you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. He's doing the same work. I'm just giving him tools that he's going to use to beat you upside the head with. See? I'm such a nice guy, aren't I? (laughs) You're like, I never had it put that way before. Thanks a lot. You know know what makes it worse? For every tool I give you, or for every tool I give the Holy Spirit in you, do you know how many times I gave him tools for me? You only get beat up with this once a week. I've been doing this since Monday. (laughs) I'm kicking my own butt on a daily basis. But I'm not saying you get better. I'm saying you walk in holiness because that is what the Holy Spirit is spurring you to. That is what God is desiring for his people. That is what he is giving you, the difficulties he's giving you. That is why he's giving you the good things he is giving you so that you will be refined in this place so that you will know how to live 
both in contentment when you have and in contentment when you don't. So that you will live faithfully when things are good and faithfully when they're not. So that you will pray when things are good and when they are not. So that you will love your neighbor when he's nice to you and when he has stolen all the tools out of your garage and won't give your lawnmower back. (laughs) That is how this is supposed to work. That you are preserved and persevering through. That's why 1 Peter says it this way. 1 Peter 3. Christ died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. So that he might bring to God, or sorry, bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. There's your example. We talked about, I read earlier in in, um, 1 Peter 2 that we would have the example. That's the example. This is your life. Dead in the flesh, alive to Christ. Dead to the greed and lusts of this world. The desires for money, the desires for more of this, the desires for more of that, the desires for better everything. And alive in the spirit to the blessings that God has provided so that we live in contentment, so that we don't do this. Because if you can do this, you know what I know isn't walking around inside of you? The Holy Spirit. Which means the warning is repent. But if we can see this and go, I do not want to live that way. Lord, strengthen me so that I don't walk like that. All right, you know what you just prayed for? You just prayed for help with your anger, and you just prayed for patience. (laughs) Because in order to not walk like that, you know what I got to get? I got to get life that looks a lot more like that so that I can do what? I can give it the old, you know, Heisman stiff arm and keep on going the direction that he has called me. So don't be surprised by this world. Do not be afraid of this world, but never shrink away from the call. Never shrink away from discipleship, declaring what is right and what is good, and walking in a straight line when the world goes, no, 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 we're, we're doing curly cues today. No, 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 we're going that way, because that's the way to Christ. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you for the mercy you have shown, for the grace that you have poured out, for the examples that you give, both good and bad. We ask, Lord, that you strengthen us, that no matter what may be in front of us, that we would trust, that we would be content with the provisions that you have given, that we would faithfully be your people, growing in our faith, growing in holiness, strengthening one another until the day that you call us home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth. Bye.
the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death to pain from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on Two things. Cameron just told me to remind you guys that you need to change your clocks this weekend. I naturally responded that you should stop worrying about such things. <laughs> um, second one, I didn't mention it earlier, but it's food for thought. Um, if you get an opportunity this week, and the name has just gone right out of my head. Oh, he came back. Um, there is a pastor in Canada by the name of James Coates. Um, he's in jail right now because his church wouldn't close during COVID. He appealed his, uh, his lockdown during uh, – they want to leave him in jail until his trial. And so he got a hearing on that so that he could get, at least get bail so he can just go home. And they said no. So he'll be in jail until May until, for, the, for the sin and crime against humanity of they had church with more than about seven people in it. Now, the beauty of it is the church is still meeting. <laughs> That's what I said. So if you get an opportunity, though, pray for that family. His wife has now got three or so kids at the house by herself, and he's just sitting there waiting. So if you ever wonder what's the harm of just doing some of the things we've done for the last year, that's sometimes what it looks like. So if you get a chance this week, remember that family in your prayers, please. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave, we ask that you'd strengthen us, that we would walk faithfully as your people, doing the work that you've called us to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.